so this this guy was calling me because he had just he just purchased the new 2022 standard. He's like, man, the trolley rail sweeps. It says shall. It, it is like, do you realize I've got dozens and dozens of, of cranes in here that don't have trolley rail sweeps? And, and now I'm seeing the standard and it says they shall be included. So does, does that mean I got to put these rail sweeps in? Welcome to Safety Factor, my name is Ben Hangst, and today we're talking about the updates and changes made in ASME B32 2022. The 2022 edition took effect this year on August 24th, 2023, and as with most standards and how they are written, there can be different interpretations of those changes. To help us interpret some of those changes, I'm joined by Tad Dunville, hoist expert and ASME B32 committee member, and Bobby Hamilton, regional service manager at Mozilla. Guys, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having us. I, I, Bobby should have got top billing before me. He's he's uh, a little grayer and a little smarter than I am, probably. <laughs> With, uh, um, Heck, would you guys mind uh, just briefly introducing yourself? Tell me a bit about your experience in the overhead crane industry and uh, what perspective you bring to help interpret these changes in ASME Beer 32. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, again. I'm Bobby Hamilton. I've been involved in overhead cranes for probably 20 plus years. I started out as a as a crane operator and then transitioned to maintenance. And uh, we got into the uh, crane service business and I kind of stuck with it since. Uh, Spent a lot of my time in steel mills. And uh, I'm currently the chair of the crane technical committee for the AIST. Um, I'm also an alternate on the ASME B32 subcommittee. Um, So, you know, I'm real real passionate about the the standards and the safety of the overhead cranes. I'm Tad Dunville. I I somewhat mirror Bobby's image. I've been doing this for little over 20 years and and uh, am a member of, of the Crane Technology Committee at, at AIST. And, and also I uh, am technically an alternate of B30.2, which, which is a great committee. Uh, uh, really tells us a lot about how to take care of your cranes and how to design your cranes. So there's a lot of big changes that uh, took effect in the 2022 edition. So in your guys' opinion, what are some of the biggest, most important changes that you've seen? Maybe we get a little background as to what went into effect. Uh, B30.2 is a consensus standard. And, and that means that it's not just crane guys and it's not just federal regulators. In fact, I don't know that we have any federal employees. Bobby, you might correct me on that. Um, but a consensus standard is designed to have people from all different uh, parts of, of the crane uh, ecosystem or life cycle. Owners, managers, designers, builders, fixers, um, and so that's what gives it a lot of credibility. And, and that's why um, OSHA has, has included it by reference, which gives it something like the force of federal law. What really has the force of federal law is the 1967, I believe, version of this. Every update since then um, has some great clarifications. Uh, the 2022 version is, is the latest and greatest, uh, both figuratively and literally. I think we've, we've put a lot of time into it and, and hard work and and some of the guys on the committee like Jody who was our our recently stepped down chairman um just a, a wealth of knowledge and experience so mm-hmm. uh, it, and and Bobby correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like anybody that that flaunts the the rules in the latest edition will will find themselves in just as much hot water whether uh, in terms of bodily harm and health or or financial damages 
Yeah, and I think that those are all great points. And just to add to that, uh, you know, Tad mentioned the 1967 ANSI standard, which is actually uh, what became the 1910-179 that we're all familiar with now for double girder top running overhead bridge cranes. To give an example of the relevance of the ASME standard, since 1971, when 1910-179 was enacted, it's been amended about seven times. And it didn't have any real significant changes in it. But the ASME B32, it's updated every five years. And not only is the safety culture of the companies uh, changing, but the technology is changing as well. You know, in 1967, VFD drives weren't a big, you know, wasn't a technology. Radio control right. wasn't a big technology. So ASME not only stays, stays up to date. Uh, on the on the safety trends that are impacting uh, you know overhead crane uh, users, but also the technology that's advancing as well uh, has a big impact on it as well. So it is incredibly relevant, and like Tad said, it is incorporated by reference the design design standards. It carries the full weight of the uh, law uh, with OSHA, uh, so it's very important. That uh, if you're if you're a, a manufacturer, you, you, you know you have overhead cranes that you that you you know what the changes are. You're adhering to them because it it protects the safety of your employees and it, it will protect you and keep you from getting costly OSHA violations. Uh, that's a great point. We have to ask ourselves why are we here? At the risk of sounding like a former vice presidential candidate that got on national news and said, "Who am I and what am I doing here?" Um, at one time, perhaps 20, 25 years ago, uh, it was the Wild West, right? And we looked at rules like this and said, how do I get around them and save a little bit of money? But at this point, we found that that safety is profitability. Um, the, the, when a crane breaks, you either have repair costs, you have productivity issues, or you have uh, uh, health issues, life and limb and, and injury and death. Mm -hmm. And, and so we've found empirically proven that number one, your insurance, regardless of whether or not you care about the guy you just killed or cut his toe off, your insurance costs will go up. It's a loan. You, you will see an increase in premiums to the point that you pay back the injury cost with interest. So think of it as a loan and a usurious one at that. Um, it's going to cost you a ton of money. And, and so number one, safety is profitability. Number two, when you look at if the crane can't ship or unload or load trucks and rail cars or machinery, the factory isn't functioning and they're losing money to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour. So why are we here? Uh, we're, we're not here to slap wrists and, and be like the, you know, the nuns and the Blues Brothers that are always slapping Jake and Elwood around just for discipline purposes. We're here because safety is profitability and, and good cranes are profitability. Um, so at the end of the day, really following these rules and, and thinking of them as, as not just rules, but as, as a, a minimum um, in order to get your, your facility safely working and productively working, that this is a profitability thing all day long. So not everybody has access to ASME B32, a copy of it. So let's try to bullet point some of the big changes that you guys saw that really stood out to you as you went through it. Bobby, what do you think there's, I remember talking a lot about, and I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, if, if you read the new standard, there's a lot of discussion about what is a crane and what is not a crane in terms of what is below the hook, what is a lifter versus what is the bottom block. And, and it seems that there must have been a lot of confusion uh, in, 
in the last few years as to do I consider my lifter part of, of the crane? Is it reeved in or is it, is it a, a temporary thing? Is it a shift long lifter? Uh, we, we focused a lot on that. And I, I think that that indicates that there's a lot of end user gray area. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, you know, I think it goes back. Um, and I'm going to add that in, in addition to that very subject, I think there's some some confusion on a lot of the a lot of the um, the standards that are in this because the you know folks aren't really they're not really understanding it they're not reading it they're not asking questions they're not consulting experts to understand uh, what all the details are of, of a lot of the a lot of the issues so you know there's the design standards changes and there's mm-hmm. a hand those and and then there's some some load testing changes there's a medical and vision requirement addition uh, there's some additional uh, verbiage for um, uh, the operator in regards to to moving the load and even the responsibilities of signal persons. So yeah, to add to your point, in addition to you know what is a crane, what what does that mean, what does that look like, uh, you know, there's there's other parts too. Um, you know, if if you're if you're doing it, you know, making a, a lift and you have a signal person, what is the signal person's responsibilities? Who's Who's going to really truly direct the load, uh, the movement of the of the load? Who does that? What does that look like, right? And and you made a good point, uh, be, you know, like below the hook lifting devices. Um, can we test them on? You know, can we test the load? Uh, uh, the limit switch. Yeah, with the limits, can it be on the hook when we're when we're testing the limit switch? You know, so so th- those are some of the things that that were definitely addressed, and when we have a clear direction on what we should be doing going forward. So uh, yeah, so that's that's a good point. But I just want to reiterate: it's the the, the end user's responsibility to to know to know and follow these standards so that they're uh, you know they're keeping their employees safe and they're. Uh, keeping their their facilities, you know, functional and, and producing product. So wh- well, another piece of background I think we should talk about to this is clearly there's been a lot of gray area. And, and one of the biggest ones that we addressed in the latest standard was what is a crane versus what is below the hook? And, and is it a shift wide lifter versus just a, a temporary uh, uh, one lift lifter? Um, when, when you have a gray area like that, when you're an end user, Unfortunately, despite the fact that cranes can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and are very large and it's very easy to hurt somebody, really, in the grand scheme of things, the licensing and and expertise requirements to operate or maintain them, despite the fact we've added to them, um, are are somewhat minimal compared to an automobile, a semi-truck, God knows, something like a ship or a train, um, which are all similar orders of magnitude of how large they are, how, how how serious they are to operate and, and dangerous they can be and, and how uh, on the flip side, how useful they can be to your bottom line. And, and so if I'm a, a, a purchasing agent or a maintenance guy or an engineer and an end user or anybody else for that matter that touches a crane and, and that's important, it can't just be those guys. What, what do I do when I have a gray area? Um, you know, number one, you start with federal law, OSHA 1910.179, and, and also any state law. So, so Ben and I had an offline discussion recently about uh, the states of Washington and California have state-based OSHAs, uh, as does Michigan, that are a bit more rigorous than, than the federal rules. Um, but you can also write or, or call your, your service company, such as Mazella, that, that's doing work in-house, um, you can write or call the, the manufacturer of the equipment 
And and what that does, number one, it can get you a fast answer because myself as as a crane and hoist guy and and Bobby as as the you know director level employee of Mazella, we want your business. And and so we're not gonna say, oh, go look it up. We're gonna say, I do this all the time. Hang on, let me pull out an applicable code section and give you some direction, if not a firm answer, because we're here to help. We're, we're, we do this every day. We want to earn your business. Um, so the shortcut is to call your service company, call the OEM, mm-hmm. uh, even call a friend in the business, um, because we're here to help and, and we want to provide the, sh- you know, the shortcut answer. If that helps you, it helps us to, to work with our customers and have a better relationship and promote safety and productivity. You can also write to uh, a number of these, these bodies, whether it's OSHA, ASME, AIST, you can write these people with your questions and, and they will provide you with an answer for free. Uh, as opposed to if you hired a lawyer for a couple hundred dollars an hour, um, who would give you a fast answer, but it would cost you, um, and it would be non-biased. If you write AIST or ASME or OSHA, they will give you a a non-biased, very good factual answer. The problem is it's going to take a while and it's a garbage in garbage out situation. So if you don't document your situation well, and you just say, hey, I got a load on the hook and I need to know about X, Y, Z. It might take 90 mm-hmm. days to get an answer back and you might not get the answer you like. And, and especially if you haven't documented your situation very well. So, so here's a great example is, is we addressed what is a crane and it says you have to take below hook devices off to test the limits unless they're shift wide. So if you're describing this scenario, you would want to discern between I have uh, a coil grabber under my hook that I use for every lift all day versus I have uh, a sling that we don't even know where it came from that was hanging from the lifter when we walked in this morning and we need to test the limits. Should we pull that sling off or not? And then, okay, that's good information for those uh, non-biased regulatory bodies to have because they can provide a better answer. But again, it's going to take 90 days plus to get your answer back depending Mm -hmm. on who the body is and and you may not like the answer. And then now that you have that answer, that that's a pretty finite, hard answer of, okay, that's the rule. We have to do that unless we want to, you know, now figure out how this doesn't really apply to us. So it, it, it's always really helpful to know what your options are when trying to figure out these gray areas. Any updates that might change day-to-day operations as people who already have overhead cranes and use them every day, anything that they might need to know? Bobby, what, what do you think about the signaling issues? I mean, that's, that's day to day. Um, and, and I think we, we look at signal people as not crane guys, right? Yeah, I think that's a, I, I think that's a good one to talk about. So, yeah, so uh, they, ASME has actually added a section. It's uh, 2-3.3.6 and it, it outlines the responsibilities of signal persons. Uh, that's, that's new to the standard. Uh, there's, there's great guidance. There's, um, that, 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 you know, that crane owners, operators should be adhering to, uh, to make sure that their lifts are safe. Uh, so I would definitely recommend, uh, that you, you know, obtain the latest edition of this and, and that you look this over and that you implement it at your facility. Uh, but it definitely, um, it has answered a call to have some, you know, clarification on, on what this looks like and how it should work uh, to, you know, to prevent some of the injuries that have occurred in our industry over the years because we didn't really have an understanding or guidance on what this signal person's role is, what's the responsibility. So I think that's a great one that we should uh, definitely recommend that, that everybody takes a look at. 
So is this actually requiring that now if you're operating an overhead crane, you'd need to have a signal person to be signaling, or is it just kind of outlining the responsibilities of who the signal person is, what they're, what they're doing and everything like that? Yeah. So what, what it really does is it outlines the responsibilities of if there's a signal person that's going to be uh, needed to, to manage a load handling activity. Uh, that's really what it does. There, there's a, um, the best example I can give you is there's, um, you know, there's, there's really, there's two modes for a crane when it's operating there. It, it's, it's in a, it's in a maintenance process or it's in a production process. Uh, it, and this certainly doesn't apply to all, all situations, but generally speaking in a, in a maintenance, um, situation, you're, you're, you're picking a piece of equipment, uh, you're replacing a piece of equipment there, you know, there's going to be a signal person there to direct that, uh, so, you know, there, there's really good guidance on, on, on um, making sure that there's a good communication between the signal person and the crane operator. They need to, the crane operator needs to understand the signals so that they, they don't move uh, inadvertently the opposite direction, which could put someone in the line of fire uh, to be injured. Uh, and, and the other example is there's, there are production cranes where the operator maybe in a warehouse and there's nobody in there and they're picking up and moving material that's being brought in. Uh, maybe it's on a conveyor or it's on some kind of a belt. Uh, so that, you know, there's not really a, a standard that says you have to have a signal person. So in that instance, the operator is going to make the, you know, make the move, they're going to make the pick, uh, you know, on their own. Um, so again, it, there's this, this goes in hand in hand with the, you know, the, the section that's already included in the in the standard for the responsibility of riggers. In addition to signal persons, you know, mm -hmm. they're real good, uh, real good guidance on on what uh, riggers responsibility are, uh, making sure that it's, you know, the load doesn't shift. They got the right equipment to make the pick. Uh, so, it, I, you know, I think it's um, it, it's really good material. Um, so in those instances where you do have to have that signal person, this great clarification so that we, you know, it clears up the confusion on what the signal person's responsibilities are. So you make a good point there. And, and we've got the signal person uh, requirements. We've got the new medical and vision criteria requirements. We, we've got uh, a few more additional pieces about what it takes to maintain cranes. And, and what this, I think, recognizes overall is that it's more than just the crane. A lot of times we see the injuries being people near the cranes, um, outside contractors that have been hired to fix something on or near the cranes. I think people are finally starting to realize it's more than the crane. It's, it's the people around the crane that are, that are just as much in harm's way. And I mean, look, it's no different than when, when you have a train track, right? The train comes by at 80 miles an hour. We have lights, we have sounds, we have bells, we have bright yellow and, and red gates and, and pylons warning us. Here's a large, mm -hmm. dangerous thing that's hard to stop. And, and we're finally realizing with cranes, here's a large, dangerous thing that's hard to stop. And, and we need to have some kinds of standards and responsibilities written down for those people that are near it so that we don't get hurt. What do you think, Bobby? I mean, the majority... Of, of injuries on or near cranes? Are, are they day-to-day -day operators and people? Or are they people that are just touching it randomly or, or you know, procedurally uh, outside the norm? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think the from what I see on my side, I think a lot of the incidents actually happen to seasoned um, 
experienced operators or maintenance people. I think they're the ones that that do it the longest. And I think the reason for it is I think they get complacent. I think complacency is is putting them in these um, hazardous situations. And, and to go back, I think on, I kind of touch on what you said, Tad. There, the um, you know there is a, a the verbiage now that the their management the owner user shall establish medical and vision criteria uh you know if required for persons who operate a crane so what what what's happening in the industry is that the days of just bringing somebody in and saying hey here's the crane here's the you know here's the the radio transmitter go run it those those days yeah. are over we're getting we you know we're training we're making sure that that the, the folks don't have the medical issues or vision issues that could uh, impair their ability to run the crane. There, there's times when, you know, the, the, a lot of these places, it, it may not be well lit. It may be, you know, the flooring's uneven. There's oil. There's debris. You've got to climb up and down stairs. And, and you've got to be able to physically meet those requirements to be able to safely operate that equipment. If, if an individual were to struggle with any of those, um, you know, any of those tasks, that can impair their ability to run the crane and that puts people in danger. So I, I think, you know, again, it's good that, you know, the, the owners, the, you know, users, you, you know, you got to have a training program. You got to be training yeah. your operators. You got to be, they got to understand what the, their frequent inspection obligations are at the beginning of the shift. And they got to understand, you know, what, how do they safely move the load? And, and they got to be physically able to do it. I mean, I think these are all key things. And I think I think companies are definitely becoming more uh, more focused on this than the way they used to do it. So I think it's I think it's a good thing that that we're recognizing this. So you brought up an important piece is is the, the medical and vision piece now is shall. And we've had a lot of debate over the years. What is shall versus what is should. And, and, and so if you're tuning in at home, um, a requirement could say you should do this or it, a requirement could say you shall do this. And, and the, the rule of thumb we've always gone by is that shall means you absolutely have to, there's no exceptions and should means it's a good idea. And, and to, to back up a little bit, if, if someone gets hurt, OSHA's going to come in and they're going to start writing fines. And, and because of the general duty clause, which says everybody gets up in arms about general duty. And it says that you have to provide a workplace free from known harms. And it, it pays to think about what is a known harm. And in the past, OSHA has recognized internal policy can prove that it's a known harm. So if you have a, a, a book at the end user, whether it's the owner's manual or just a corporate policy that says you need to do X, that's a known harm. And so even if it's not a shall, that's considered a known harm. Well, mm -hmm the shoulds are also going to be considered known harms if someone gets help. And, and that's, that's nice and all, but those are stocking stuffers because what happens is if someone gets hurt, the first thing that's going to, that we all know is going to happen is, is OSHA is going to come in. They're going to do an inspection. They're going to write a bunch of fines. The fines could be five or 10,000, 50,000, a hundred thousand dollars. And for a lot of businesses, they can figure out a way to pay that. Even if it's a smaller family business, it was $20,000. They're, you know, maybe we don't go on vacation or, or get a new car this year, but, but the family business pays the fine and they keep running. If it's a larger installation, it, it's a drop in the bucket. But then you also have to consider that there's going to be uh, insurance costs. And like I said earlier, you'll pay back the cost of, of the injury with interest to your insurance company through raised premiums. And we heard 
that, that the average workplace injury is something like $100,000 now because once you get the healthcare system involved, it costs a lot of money. And the average death is something like $2 million. And that's in terms of, of what your insurance costs are going to go up. But then you also have F. Lee Bailey or Jackie Childs or, or whoever, uh, uh, who's the guy in New Orleans, uh, Morris Bart, they're going to sue you for $20 million. And, and you know, you, you hope that your insurance covers that. It, it, no, it won't necessarily. And, and so that's, um, that could be a, a, an enterprise ending liability right there that could put the company out of business. Um, so when we think about what are our financial costs of, of dealing with these problems, it's, it's not the $50,000 OSHA fine, it's the $20 million jury award. Um, and, and then on top of that, Jackie Childs, and, and I hope y'all remember Seinfeld. He was, he was Kramer's crazy attorney when, when Kramer burned himself on hot coffee or something like that. And he was always just absolutely hilarious on the show, but, but that's, we all laugh at it. That's, that is how plaintiff's attorneys work is they're going to try to figure out the craziest thing that, that they can prove in court. And then they're going to pursue it. And if it sticks, it sticks. It's money. They have, they literally have a, a fiduciary duty to their client to find those things and, 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 you know, seek restitution for what happened to their, to their client. They're not just going to look at the shells to, to bring this back to ASME or OSHA. They're not just going to look at the shells and the shoulds and say, well, you know, they followed all the shells and, and the shoulds are just good ideas. So we can't really pursue you on that. Now they're going to push absolutely every bleeding limit, uh, when they figure out what they can sue you for. So not only are they going to sue you for any shells you missed, they're going to sue you for any shoulds you missed. So when we talk about the shoulds and the shells, we, we, we Korean guys love to have these esoteric discussions about what, what's a should and the shall and, and what, you know, should we be taking down, you know, the lifters when we test the limits or, or, and is it a ship long lifter or is it just something random that was on the hook when we walked in there? Hey, look at it this way is what's going to happen when Jackie Childs comes in and sues you you have to think a lot broader. You have to think everything. It's not just the crane, everything around it is part of, part of the issue. And if it makes sense to, to do something in terms of safety, you should probably be doing it. Um, and if you don't understand, or there's a gray area, that's when it's a really good opportunity to call somebody like Bobby or myself and, and say, Hey, I've got this problem and I need you to spend five minutes workshopping this with me. Not, I don't just want to make a split decision about, well, it's not a shell, so I don't have to do it. So speaking of giving you guys a call if you need some help. Not everybody has an ASME committee member on their staff. How can people, what are the resources available to help people kind of work through these, the difficulties in interpreting these standards or understanding these standards, making sure that they're compliant? Uh, what can companies do to make sure that they're complying with the new ASME standard? Call Bobby. I mean, that's that's a great first step. I, I, we talked about that a little <laughs> earlier, but but call the OEM or call your service company that, that is doing your inspections and repairs right now. Um, I mean, they're, you're going to get the best answer from your crane company because they want to help you and they want to, they want to sell more. They want to be more productive. They want to help you be more productive. I mean, Bobby, what happens if I call you right now, pretending I'm a customer or even just a friend? Yeah, I, th I think that's a great point. So, so I'm going to do what I can to, to help and direct. I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, call share the knowledge, right? I'm going to try to, to help you um, solve your issue. So I, I think uh, what what a great thing to do, and I would tell this to anybody who calls. I would whether it's it's a, 
uh, um, folks that have had cranes for, you know, lots of cranes and they're, and they, they, they're um, very well versed in them and versus, you know, we got a, a Ma and Pa machine shop that's just getting started. Here's what I'm going to tell you. It doesn't matter which end of the experience level you're at. Uh, the OSHA 1910-179 is available online. It's free, no, yep. no charge. The standards of interpretation. There's a whole, there's a, a, a web link where you can access every one of them. And the standards of interpretations are those questions that, that, that industry um, folks are asking for clarification. And OSHA is, is uh, you know, helping to, to uh, clarify the, the, you know, the, the confusion. So get the 1910-179, look at the standards of interpretation, read it. Uh, implement it into your policies for your crane, your, your crane program. My next recommendation would be go to Ask Me and, and purchase B32 yeah. 2022. Buy that copy. You can get a get a printed copy mailed to your facility or you could do a PDF and download it right then as you're ordering it. Get that standard and and, and use it intertwined with 1910.179. Again, it's incorporated by reference. There's a standard of interpretation date, dated January 3rd, 1997. You know, read that and understand it. And then bring those standards in and, and, and develop your crane program using both of those documents. And then if you have other pieces of equipment, you got to remember 1910-179 is for double girder top running cranes. B32 is double girder top running and single girder top running. If you have single girder under running cranes, you want to get B3017 by that standard implemented into your program. But I, I would recommend doing that. And then reach out to Tad, reach out to, you know, meet, reach out to guys that have been in the industry for a while if you have questions about it. Um, like Tad was saying, we're, we're easily accessible. We, we don't charge attorneys, uh, charge, you know, yeah. fees. We don't do that. So reach out to us and we can get you those answers. Those are, you know, responses uh, real quick. And, and quite honestly, we want to partner with you to yeah. help you make your facility safe and 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 keep your you know productivity going. That's what we do. That that's what we're here for. And, and give us the chance to do that. Uh, but that would be my recommendation to anybody if if they had any questions or concerns with any of the standards. So one important point is we're not the crane police. You know we're here for long term relationships. And and we literally Bobby and I and and other people like us have no force of law in terms of. If we, if you tell us something or we see something, we can give you advice, but we cannot say that crane has to stop with the force of law. We can say, Hey, it's a really good idea to shut that thing off. And we might even write that in a piece of paper, but we're not the crane police. So, so we're kind of like a psychologist. You can come to us and tell us your fears and troubles. And, and we, what are we going to do with it other than give you good information? And, and we want to be with the end users and, and, and people like that long-term. So we're not going to say, well, you have to buy a million dollar fix or I'm calling OSHA. Neither of those really work for us. They're not in our motivations and we have no legal force to be the crane police. Um, and, and we're also, I would say 80%, 90% of the people in cranes are, are fun, interesting people. And we're here because we like this business and we enjoy it and, and we're approachable. We're outgoing. The sense of humor on some crane guys is the size of a school bus, right? So we're, we're a lot easier to approach than, than, you know, calling a lawyer and getting an answer that, that is on record is, is kind of a 
tough pill to swallow. I, I would say everybody in Cranes could probably make a lot more money selling insurance or, or as bankers, but but we're here because we really like this business and it's engaging and interesting. And so as you form a relationship with your crane guy, you'll start to realize that that we're very human. We're very multidimensional. We'll, we'll talk to you about cars and sports and, and food and fishing. And, and, you know, it is absolutely worth coming up with a good long-term relationship with your crane guy because you'll, you'll be better for it both technically and, and as a friend. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to follow up on that, cause that's all true. I agree a hundred percent. Um, you know, crane guys, man, they're, 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 we're here to help. We're here to partner with you. You know, I, I received a call from one of our, our steel mill customers and, and Tad, you talked earlier about should and shall. And, and what does that mean? You know, should is a recommendation is, is it, do we really need to do it and shall, can I really get a citation if I, if I don't do it, you know, it's, and I'm directed to is shall. And I had a, had a guy ask me, uh, you know, the, the 2016 standard, uh, they were saying, hey, trolley rail sweeps, it's a should. That's a recommendation, right? Well, it is, uh, you know, however you do, like Tad mentioned, you know, we got to be aware of, of a known hazard, right, for, JDC, for GDC. Uh, the 2022 standard, that has changed. So this this guy was calling me because he had just he just purchased the new 2022 standard. And he's like, man, trolley rail sweeps, it says shall. And he's like, do you realize I've got dozens and dozens of, of cranes in here that don't have trolley rail sweeps? And, and now I'm seeing the standard and it says they shall be included. So does, does that mean I got to put these rail sweeps in? You know, that's a that's a big cost and, and that's going to impact their productivity. So, you know, so my answer is, well, well you know, Mr. Customer, it, it's incorporated by reference. It's a design standard. And, and you got to have them. You have to go back and, and you have to install rail sweeps now. You know, you, we the, we got to have them. Uh, if something happens and there's an injury and, and it occurs because maybe something was on the rail and, and the rail sweep wasn't able to push it out of the way and that wheel runs up over top of the, the debris or whatever is on the rail and, and, and as a result, someone's hurt, man, OSHA is going to come in there and they're going to reference the, you know, 2-1.9.2. And they're going to fine you for that. You're going to get a citation. And to go back on what Tad said, now an attorney gets a hold of that. An attorney says, hey, the, the standard changed. You had to put these on. You didn't do it. You're liable for damage, right? So that, that's kind of how that happens. But that's just an example, uh, you know, really too, of, of a change that just occurred to 2022, the trolley rail sweeps shall be included. And then what, what we can do as crane experts to help partner with you to make sure you're in compliance with your equipment. So you make a good point as to what is compliance and how do you comply? We've got all this knowledge about what are the new regs and, and now it's how does the rubber meet the road? And, and in terms of OSHA, if, if you don't meet uh, a specification, you know, if you if you have a written program in place for how over the next few years, and your steel mill customer is a great example. If I have two cranes in my barn, I can go put rail sweeps on it pretty quickly. If I have two hundred cranes, that's a big, big problem. And and so number one, having a written document as to how we're going to bring the cranes into compliance over the next few years mm -hmm. is something where 
you know, let's say crane A, someone is hurt on crane A. And, and so, and this is the thing, OSHA can, can cite you for whatever. After there's an injury on crane A, they can go through the whole facility and cite you for whatever they want. So if they find out the cranes C, D, and E don't have rail sweeps, if you have a document that says, here's the budget every 90 days for, for rail sweeps, and, and this quarter we're going to do those cranes, and this quarter we're going to do those cranes, it, it will at least demonstrate that you, you have taken time to read the standards and understand them and come up with a plan to meet them. The, the punishment from OSHA will be less than if you just said, well, you know, it's just too darn expensive and we're just not going to do it because then you're actively flaunting the laws. And, and so, um, you know, number one, understanding all these changes and having a plan um, and, and maybe for some reason you feel that crane F shouldn't have rail sweeps. And, and I can't think offhand of a reason why, but, but if you pay an engineer to come up with a, a justification um, and, and so let's take rail sweeps out of it for a minute, but, but safety latches on hooks are a great example. They're required. And, and if you have some kind of lifter or business case or, or engineering case as to why you don't need a safety latch, or it might be counterproductive, wouldn't you agree, Bobby, that in certain, certain narrowly defined situations, you could take it off? Absolutely. The, yeah. The greatest example of that is a ladle crane in a steel mill, right? Yep. The, they, no, no safety latch. What is the hazard of putting someone in a man lift or, or, or a gate that swings out over a, a ladle of molten steel to secure a latch, right? There, there's a lot of hazard yeah. in that versus just let the operator take that hook and get into the uh, get into the, the lifting device on that ladle and, and pick it up and go. So that's a great example of where, uh, you know, OSHA is not going to cite somebody. Uh, for not having a safety latch in an application like that. So so the, I think what Tad said is very is key is, is sh we have to show our due diligence that we're reading these standards we're, and we're we're looking at them. And if there's situations where we, we might, you know, there might be a deviation or we may have to do something different. Uh, we got to have a, uh, a a documented uh, process. Yeah. We have to show where we had, we consulted with an expert. And I'm not saying that that gives us the pass to, to uh, bypass or forego a standard. I'm just saying that uh, there are instances where uh, we can do our due diligence to make our, our uh, facilities safer by, in, right. you know, bringing mm -hmm. in an expert to, to consult and, 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 and let us know what we can do to go above and beyond. So, uh, you know, I think that's important too, but again, it really comes back to, you know, reading it and looking at it and, and applying it to your process and trying to understand what hazards could be there and, and, and really doing your due diligence. That's, that's just like Tad said, that's what we have to do at the end of the day. So to reinforce that, if the new 2022 says standard says shall, you have to do it. But like your steel mill customer said, you might be going, oh my God, this is going to cost me a fortune. How am I going to afford it? At the very least, you need to call in the experts, call in a call crane company, put a plan together to at least figure out how you're going to get these changes in. Maybe it's over over a period of time, correct? Yeah, I, I agree. You, you definitely you want that. That's taking a proactive stance. And that's exactly what T um, Tad was saying. If, if a company, a manufacturer is proactive and they recognize that there is a hazard and they also recognize that it's not feasible 
to completely remove it. In this example, installing trolley rail sweeps because they have 200 cranes. If they're proactive and they say, all right, we recognize the standard and we're going to, you know, start installing these, you know, these rail sweeps on these cranes at this time. Here's the budget for it. Here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. Um, it doesn't mean OSHA is going to give you a pass. I'm not saying that, but mm-hmm. they'll certainly uh, they will have a much better approach um, to to, the, to that that company if if they're proactive. What what we what we see, unfortunately, is the reactive uh, part of it, which it which is not good for it. it costs money and it's 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 just it's bad. Um, and that would be if if you wait and let OSHA come in and then tell you, then you recognize it. Uh, then we have to go reactive, and, and, and that usually doesn't end well. Uh, it, you know, uh, it, it results in costly fines, and uh, you know, uh, OSHA can come back and, and see where you, you know, they're going to come back and see where you're, you know, where you're at and how you're doing. Uh, so I think the best thing to do is, is like Tad was saying, is proactive due diligence and documentation. That way you can you can show anybody. And, and we don't want to just show OSHA. We want to be able to show our employees, hey, this is our plan. You know, we ha- we you know, this is what we're going to do to to get our cranes in compliance because the, yeah. the standards change. We, we want to be able to show this to anybody. The highest uh, level of, of quality of work we can always you know work to is the, the, the law. Right. That's uh, if we meet the expectations of the law, we, you know, we've, uh, you know, met the expectations of the standard. But we also want to meet the expectations of the employees. You know, yeah. you know they're counting. Uh, they want to go home to save to their families, their loved ones and do what they enjoy doing. And and that's what it's all about. So we, we you know, everybody, we owe an obligation to them, not just OSHA, not just lawyers, but, yeah. you know, to them as well. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't touch on that you want to touch on? I, I think we had a, a really nice discussion here today. Right. And, and, you know, we, we went over some really good broad concepts that I think <laughs> will help people understand how to take care of a crane better in light of any standard, whether it's new or, or tried and true. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, if you have any questions as, as, a, as an owner about the nuts and bolts or a specific standard, you know, reach out to myself or Bobby or, or anybody else that, that, you, that you work with on these topics and we'd be happy to help you. We, we would enjoy that. Beats the heck out of doing spreadsheets. Ted, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, give me a call at 574-904-3186 or tdunville at gmail.com. So reach out to Ted or give him a call. And as always, you can get a hold of me, Bobby, or any of our other experts at mazellacompanies.com. Don't forget to pop into our learning center. We have a ton of information on overhead cranes there, including free eBooks, courses, articles, and videos, including breakdowns on ASME B32. Subscribe to Safety Factor wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can watch it on the Lifting and Rigging channel on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there.